Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. What's up, Westside? How are you? Greetings uh, from the Harvest family on the south side. So good to be up here with you all today. It's good to be back. Uh, Pastor Doug asked as I began to just kind of give you an update on our life and the ministry and what's going on on the south side. And um, for those of you who might be newer here and might not know, um, you all are the planting church for us down on the south side. And so um, we went through the Harvest Training Center uh, fall of 14, and then my wife and I spent a month and a half here in January of 2015, and then our church was launched in September of 2015. So we just celebrated uh, three years old as a ministry down there, and um, what God has done, yes, we can praise the Lord for that. Um, what God has done in those three years is just, it's, it's been nothing short of a miracle. As Pastor Eric said, God builds his church, and we get an awesome privilege to watch that. And so um, we meet in two services at a middle school down there, Clark Pleasant Middle School, um, at 9, 15, and 11 a.m. And in 2019, we're looking uh, like we'll probably have to go to three services there. Um, we have a piece of ground right at that, those school property. Yes, we are, we're not well, we're kind of buying land from the school. It's complicated. Um, we're actually buying acreage for like $10 an acre. Yeah, you heard that right. $10 an acre. Then we're going to build a parking lot, and their new elementary school is going to use it during the week, and we're going to use it on Sunday. And so we're swapping parking lot for land um, right, right on the property we meet at currently. And so what God has done there in giving us favor in the eyes of the superintendent and school board has just been an absolute gift from him. And um, God is at work. Personally, um, when we were here, um, my wife was pregnant with our first um, and Kaysen, our oldest, is three and was born that May. And then we have a one-year-old son named Trey. The first two were both God's timing and our timing. Um, and then we had this third pregnancy that came along that was just God's timing. And, um, and then we went to the first appointment. They said, congratulations, you're having twins. And uh, so then we have a three-year-old, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and newborn twins. And um, we finally got the girl in the twin pack, okay? And uh, so my three boys uh, get 49% uh, of my love, and they have to split that. And then my girl gets 51% of my love. And so uh, God has been good to us. But we're here to get in God's Word. Get to the Bible out in front of you uh, to Philippians chapter 1, if you would, is where we're going to spend some time this morning in a paragraph of the book of Philippians. And um, while you turn there, now let me start with this, with this statement here. What we believe about dying shapes how we go about living. Really, what we believe about dying may shape more than anything else how we walk out of here and even go about living today. What, what we believe about that day death will come, has an impact that reaches far more beyond just that day death comes. 
I say this very lovingly, very carefully, because I know many of you have experienced what I'm about to say in a way that I can't relate to, or you have a loved one who've experienced this in a way that I can't relate to. You know this is true if you've ever been to the doctor and received that kind of news that put all of this reality into perspective with one sentence. You also know this is true because you live with a different perspective on life at 60 than you did at 30. There's something about the reality of dying that changes and shapes how we go about living. If you're in the room and you're 15, 18, 25, 30, 35, and you don't give one ounce of any thought of any day of your life to this concept of death, you have to hear me today. There's something about how we view dying that shapes and changes how we go about living. And now you're probably thinking, way to come over, guest preacher, and preach such a heavy thing. My hope today is this message isn't heavy. You're like, you're not off to a good start. My hope today is this paragraph that we're going to camp out in, in the book of Philippians, and, and specifically one statement that we find sandwiched in the middle of this paragraph wouldn't produce a heaviness with us. We wouldn't leave with heads hung low and, oh, wow, that was a tough sermon. No, my hope is that this reality of the truths we're going to see today would elicit joy in us. That this reality that there's something about the reality of death coming ahead that isn't for the Christian, for the Christian, for the person in here who is in Christ, doesn't produce a doom and gloom and, oh man, what are we going to do, but instead would elicit joy. Why am I saying this? Because in this paragraph we are going to walk through today, we find a statement that if you're a Christian in the room, is probably very familiar to you. If you're not a Christian in the room, this statement will make you, will convince you that all Christians are absolutely crazy. Because we are. We are an odd folk, okay? And a lot of it hinges on the reality of what we're going to see in a short statement in the Bible. But in the paragraph we walk through today, we are going to stumble across this statement. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Actually, right after that statement, Paul, the writer of this letter, is going to follow up on the heels of that statement and actually explain to us this great wrestle, internal struggle going on. Like, do I want to live do I want to die? Like, it's better that I just, he actually says, it's better that I just die. And if you're not a Christian in here yet today, you are so confused over that. You've never heard anyone say, like, do I want to keep living? Do I want to die? Like, it's better that I die. And you're, hopefully today, you figure out how you can maybe walk out of here with that kind of crazy in your own life. And if you are a Christian in here, my hope for us is that you know, I call these kind of Christian coffee cup mugs, those really familiar ones to us that we know and we can almost recite maybe without thinking. And, and my hope is that if we're Christians in here and we're familiar with this, we all agree with that intellectually. Yeah, yeah, that's theologically accurate. And for me to live as Christ today, I was going, man, my hope today 
is that our hearts would be re-engaged with this reality that what might God do with a congregation of his followers walking out of here this week actually believing to live as Christ and to die as gain? This is the win-win life in Christ. This is the win-win proposition offered to us by Jesus. And I just want to unpack for us today this win-win reality of the life in Christ. And so here's what I want to do. I want to read a section of this letter. I want to pray, and then I just want to slowly make our way through one paragraph in particular. If you would, pick it up with me in verse 12, Philippians 1, verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, if you're familiar with this letter, you know what's happened to Paul. If you're not, you're like, what happened to him? Uh, Paul is writing this from an imprisonment. And uh, uh, this church in Philippi, Paul's writing, he's writing a letter of instruction, but he's writing a thank you letter as well. This church in Philippi has sent over a guy named Epaphroditus, and with Epaphroditus uh, has come a gift for Paul. And it's sustaining Paul while he's in this imprisonment. And now he's writing a letter of thanks and instruction back to this church in Philippi. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus becoming, because of my coming to you again. Pray, pray with me. Lord, I ask now, as we spend just precious moments together as your church, seeking to understand your word before us, Lord, I was reminded this morning, and we acknowledge before you, there's a natural and supernatural element that happens right now. The natural element is that uh, we're going to reason with our minds, and um, um, someone's going to proclaim your word, and we're going to listen. But Lord, there's a supernatural element that your word does by the power of your spirit in our heart. God, I beg you for that. 
Lord, would this not just be a message and then we go home and have lunch and just kind of leave it aside? God, would you do something in our hearts through the reality of what we study here today? And God, I'm just begging for your help right now that you do that by the power of your spirit. Speak to us through your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I think we got to understand in verse 19, as Paul's writing this letter from his imprisonment, um, what does he mean when he writes back to these people that this will turn out for my deliverance? Uh, we we got to make a decision here, kind of an interpretive decision. Does Paul mean when he says this will turn out for my deliverance that... Um, He's only talking about being delivered out of his imprisonment. So he's talking about a physical reality of him being released from his imprisonment. That is one option we have here. There's a second option that what Paul may mean when he's writing about being delivered out of his imprisonment, he's talking about being delivered whether he is released from it or not. Whether he is led out of his imprisonment or he dies in it, both for him are a win-win delivered by God. Now, uh, people in the camp that Paul is talking specifically only about being released from his imprisonment will go down to verse 25 and they'll say, look, he says, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And you can look at verse 25 and say, yeah, Paul's talking about he's going to be delivered out of this imprisonment and his ministry is going to go on. I'm actually in the other camp though and I, I acknowledge the reasoning there. That yes, I think Paul does have a level of confidence that like, hey, I, I sense God's going to get me out of this, but Paul's not omniscient. He doesn't know what's coming. And I'm in this camp that when Paul talks about being delivered from his imprisonment, he's talking, I'm either going to be delivered through being released from here, or I'm going to be delivered by death. And I'm in this camp because of where he goes immediately next in verse 20. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by, what's he say? This is crazy, folks. That Paul really believes, whether by life or whether by death, However this is going to turn out, it is a win-win proposition. If I'm let out of prison, he's delivered me into greater work for him on this earth. If my life is taken here, I'm delivered into ultimate glory with him forever. Win-win. And this is the life offered to us in Christ. And it leads me into just the first principle to pull from here for us, and it's this. In life or death, Jesus will deliver me. From this, whatever this may be. Now, I want to give you a story of two people in our church of what we mean when we say, in life or in death, Jesus will deliver me from this, whatever your this may be. Uh, the first person I want to introduce you to is a woman named Cynthia. Um, Cynthia had a brother who was part of our core group, uh, Greg, and Greg had uh, grown up in the church. He'd actually attended even some Bible college, um, uh, was part of our core group, and 
was a great servant for us, but um, Greg, if he was up here today, would even share his own testimony with you that he didn't even really have a relationship with Jesus. And it was the first February of our church that uh, the gospel was preached and Greg was sitting in a seat and the Spirit of God reached in and grabbed a hold of his heart in such a way that he began to audibly moan right there in his seat before us and uh, Jesus Christ saved him. Greg became... And just insatiable, like, witness to his family. And one of those people he witnessed to was his sister, Cynthia. Cynthia was 69 years old. And Greg, it was March of 2016 when Greg first shared the gospel with his sister, Cynthia. And uh, Cynthia's very blunt, very direct, very, and she just kind of, yeah, okay, and set it off to the side. June rolled around, and Cynthia attended our church for the first time, and uh, she filled out a register as it passed by, and uh, we had her contact info, and so um, if you can imagine it, if you uh, remember uh, Therese Anderson, you remember Therese? Therese made the first-time visitor call to Cynthia that week, and you can imagine how uh, hyper and excited Therese was, and Cynthia hung up the phone and said, oh, no, they have my number. This crazy church has my contact info. Cynthia came back in June, and Pastor DJ, our worship pastor, was preaching that Sunday and preached the gospel and came down off the stage, and Cynthia made a beeline for him and said, I want to get saved. And DJ began, okay, that's great, you know, like, let's talk through that. And she, I want to get saved now. And right there at the front of our church school, um, Cynthia bowed her heart to Jesus Christ as Lord. In September, we baptized Cynthia, and it was just a great celebration. September of 2016. March 17, 2017, Cynthia went to the doctor and found out she had cancer. And found out she had a, a very aggressive form and a very progressed state of cancer on March 17th. And on July 13th of 2017, 2017, she went to be with Jesus. Within a, less than a year of her meeting Jesus, she got to go see him face to face. Two nights before her death, we drove down to Martinsville and were sitting bedside with her. And she'd been unresponsive for a few days at this point. And it, one of just the sweetest memories of ministry with Cynthia's hands in mine just leaned in. And her eyes opened just, just a crack and just the faintest weak smile across her face and eyes closed and less than 48 hours later, she went to see him. That's Cynthia's story. Let me tell you David's story. Um, David is another guy in our church who six years ago in 2012 was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. And it was one of those where uh, the doctors right away began to tell him, you need to start making preparations and you need to start talking to your family. And, um, you know, we, we can't probably guarantee that you have more than a matter of months or a year. And six years later, David is serving in our church, cancer-free with no sign that God is calling him anytime soon. Now, my question for us, if the world, not, if the world was gonna answer this question, how would they answer this? Which one was delivered? 
if the world was going to answer this question, which one was delivered? David was. Well, why, why, why does David find himself in a similar situation and he gets years and years and years to live and Cynthia, within, within March, she finds out in March and, and the Lord calls her home, but how is that fair? If the world was answering the question, they'd say David has been delivered and Cynthia hasn't. If the followers of Jesus Christ, those who are in Christ and know that his life inside your heart, if we ask us the question, who's been delivered in this? Both. Both. David has been delivered, and we're going to see Paul talk like this as he goes on. David's been delivered for more fruitful work for Christ in this earth, and Cynthia's been ultimately delivered and is with him face to face in perfect worship. That is the win-win life in Christ. In life or in death, um, we win. In life or in death, Jesus will deliver me from this. And Paul goes on. I want to bring our attention back to verse 20 here for a second. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope. And then he says something a bit interesting. With his pen in his hand, he writes, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. It's like, (laughs) Paul, hold on, man. You're the Apostle Paul. You got nothing to be ashamed about. Like you've been laying it down for the Lord, like you've been given to just go, what are you talking about that you might not at all be ashamed? I think what he's about to write helps us understand what he's talking about. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, or by death. He says, here's all I know. I find myself in this imprisonment, and, 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 and here's all I know. I just don't want to be ashamed. Okay, what are you talking about? I want, I want whatever God wants to do in this. I don't want to shrink back from anything God might have for me. I just want his highest honor and his greatest glory in this, even if it means it'll cost me my life. Think about what he's just said there. God, I want your highest honor and glory, even if it will cost me my life. Second principle for us today, can we say this? In life or death, my highest goal is his highest honor. My highest goal is his highest honor. Can we say that? Like, is there anything, do we have anything in our life that we would really be willing to die for? Do we we remember that like the whole point of our life, like why we are even upright and breathing another day is purely and most importantly for the glory of God? That we remember that like this life doesn't revolve around me and oh how good I am to try to make this world revolve around me. That like we feel so big at times and we just need to be reminded like Paul says here, I just want whatever will honor him most, that Christ would be honored in his body whether by life or by death is our highest goal, the highest honor and glory of Christ even if that means the loss of our life. Now think about how this goal transforms how we live tomorrow. Like if we can really say 
My highest goal, Lord, whatever, it, it's just that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, whatever you have to do to get that. How does that change, like, how we get in our car and drive to work tomorrow? Like, that changes the way we go to work. It's no longer just about, like, building widgets and crunching numbers, and it's about the honor of Christ in that. And it changed, it, whether we're getting up and we're driving to our dream job or <laughs> less than that. Whether we're getting up and we, we love the people we work with or we less than that. It changes things. We're just saying, Lord, just get honor with this day. Do whatever you have to do to get honor with this day. And like if, like if I get fired today because of it, like I don't really want that. But if that's what it is, just get honor. Can I say that? I can't. I'm driving over here this morning, like early, like got up early and just made the drive over early. And so thankful for the brand new Starbucks out in front here. <laughs> got great hours in. Didn't even know that was there. And, um, and I'm driving over going, Lord, I'm going to preach the second point. Your, my highest goal is your highest honor. But Lord, I can think of all these circumstances and scenarios where like, I just don't know if I can get up and say like, hey, uh, yeah. I've arrived on this one, so like if you guys could work on that one this week, I can't stand before you and say that. Like I don't think any of us are gonna leave the message here and be like, yeah, honey, this whole to live is Christ and die is gain thing, got that down, okay? But I want, I want this. Like when, when we say a point, like in life or death, my highest goal is his highest honor. We're studying the book of Acts right now. It is a church, just walking through it. And, and I know you guys have studied this and you've studied it personally, but I, I find this remarkable. The guy who writes this, the Apostle Paul, starting in like Acts 12 or 13, really the same kind of formula follows throughout the whole rest of the book. Paul goes into a city and he preaches the gospel. Many people get saved. A whole bunch of more people get mad get pitchfork torches, they beat him, they pummel him, they force him out of town. In one instance, they stone him until they think he's dead and he's unconscious. He comes back to consciousness, and where's he go? Right back into the city. And then, next town. Same thing all over again. Like, I want to know what it looks like to really live in life or death. My highest goal is his highest honor, whatever it costs. And it might look, it's going to look different than it does for the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. But I want to know what that looks like in American Christianity right now for us. It changes the way we go to work. It changes the way we get up and love our family. Like moms, dads, think about what this prayer is like around the dinner. God, do whatever you have to do to get the highest honor and glory out of our family. Whatever you have to do. I got some caveats on the list that of the things I'm hoping he doesn't do and hope, you know. It changes the way we live with unbelievers who don't yet know Jesus. I'm sitting in that same Starbucks this morning and I'm in one corner of the store and down the road early, or down the way early on, uh, an older, uh, an elderly gentleman walks in, he's got the paper and he sits down and I'm just, I'm just looking at him. Not in like that weird way where I stared for too long, but I'm just, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking through this and I'm going, I wonder if he knows Jesus. 
you know, there he is on a Sunday morning, newspaper in front of him. Maybe he does. Maybe that's what's the ritual before he goes and worships Jesus on a Sunday. But I'm just like, I wonder if he knows Jesus. And like, I wish I could stand up here and tell you. So I got up from my seat and I went over and I proclaimed Jesus to him right there in the corner of the Starbucks. And a mini revival broke out and people were just weeping of their, it didn't happen. I didn't get up. I looked back down at my manuscript and said, I got some things to get done for God today. Why didn't I get up? Well, because, like, how do you, hey, I see you're reading the newspaper. Uh, I got some good news for you about, uh, I don't know how to always transition into that. And I'm scared of, hey, young whippersnapper, get out of here. Trying to read the paper. I'm scared of reactions and I'm fearful and I don't want it to be awkward. But listen, if I really believed that God's highest honor was the goal in my life, I wouldn't fear just going and telling people about Jesus. Why am I saying all this? I find verse 19, verse 20 remarkable. This is going to turn out for my deliverance, whether it means my life or death. It's just my eager expectation and hope that I'm not ashamed. Like, I just don't want to be ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ, just, be, just get honor with my life, whether that means I go on living or whether that means I die. God, do that in our hearts. If, if the honor of Jesus Christ becomes our highest, becomes our highest goal with our life. Here, listen to this. Sometimes I think we can just fall into like this cultural mentality that like our greatest joy comes when we just live for ourselves. We know as Christians that's not true, but if we're on bombard, your greatest joy will just be found. Just accumulate for yourself and buy stuff and go do what you want. Listen, um, I wrote it down because I knew I wouldn't remember it if I didn't. So where's that quote? Your greatest joy in life will come from living for him. Your greatest misery in life will come from living for yourself. So if your greatest goal is just like the glory and sin, like the centric nature of you in the middle of it and everything revolving around you, it is the most miserable way we can live and you know it. Think about the most miserable season in your life and then think about how self-centered you were in that. It's always, they always go hand in hand. We want this. God, your highest goal, my highest goal, your highest honor. And this is what Paul's living by. And then we get to verse 21. Verse 21, we've known as Christians, we hear it all the time, it makes for a great like rallying cry verse, it's like, let's have a conference and let's start it with this verse, and for me to live is Christ, to die is Christ, yeah! No one else? No, I think it is. But like, like when I ask myself, is my heart there to live Christ. And what's that mean? We're going to get to that. To die is gain. Okay, what does that really mean, though? I think Paul helps us understand what that means. Go on, verse 22 and beyond. If I am to live, so he's talking about the living part. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Now look at the wrestle. Get in his mind with him. Yet what shall I choose? 
Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ for that is far better. Now get in the craziness of this wrestle. Like this is so countercultural. Think about this. He just said for me to live as Christ to die as gain. If I go on living it means fruitful labor. I'm going to work for Jesus but like I, I don't know which one I want. Like which one do I do? I want to go on living? No like I want to die because that would be far better. Put this into a current circumstance conversation. Hey, honey, um, you want to live or die? Like, I, I, to die would be far better. We never say these types of things. We never say, right? Even like for me to joke about, you're like, wow, that, can you joke about that? No, that's what he just said. Like, uh, <laughs> Like, to die would be so much better. And then he goes on to say, but I, like, I know I'm going to live because, like, for the joy of your faith, like, I'm going to go on living. This is the wrestle the apostle Paul is in. His love for Jesus so deep that the thought of that day, he's perfectly with him in his presence. It's like what gets him up in the morning. He's like, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. What, let's talk about what does he mean by to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let me say it like this, third point. In life, my days will be spent in fruitful labor for Christ. Every day that God gives us today included. Folks, listen. We have breath in our lungs today and we are upright today for fruitful labor for Jesus Christ. We are up today for fruitful labor for Jesus Christ. I love like, how we talk about this in Harvest World. Worship Christ, walk with Christ, work for Christ. If we're a disciple of Jesus Christ in here, like he left us the mission of our lives. Go bring God glory by making more disciples. Okay, what do you want me to do tomorrow? I want you to bring me glory by making more disciples. Okay, in the next, I want you to, it's awesome. We never have to wonder about what we're supposed to do with our lives. Get up, bring God glory, make more disciples, and let's do it again tomorrow. Uh, in my office, uh, the wall in front of my desk, there's a poem. It's my favorite poem in all the land, written by a guy named C.T. Studd, which is my favorite name in all the land. <laughs> C.T. Studd wrote a poem called, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed, Only What's Done for Christ Will Last. And every day, I look at that poem because I want to live with that kind of urgency. I want to actually believe that this could be it. No, Brock, but the odds are you're going to have tomorrow. No, no, no. Only one life, and it'll soon be gone. What can I do for Christ today? But, Brock, you're 31, and odds are the national average. For... No, 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 no. Today. If God gives me today, it means fruitful labor for Jesus Christ. This is what it means to live is Christ. We get on that? And then he gets to the, I mean, again, non-Christians in the room, I address you because this, it's crazy that we actually believe this. To die is, and why is it gain? Fourth point. It's gain. In death, we gain this. 
that we'll experience great gain because to be with him is far better than to be here. I know we do theologically, I know we do doctrinally, I know we do in our head, but do we live like we really believe when that day comes and I'll pass from this world from eternal life here to eternal life forever, that is gain. It's going to be so good. To live is gain. This is what makes us awesomely crazy. That if we can really let this paragraph in the book of Philippians seep into our heart, some 11-year-old in the first service, we were talking after, and then he sat back in the seat. He said, Mom... I really don't have to be afraid to tell my friends about Jesus, do I? Because even if they make fun of me, I still win. Pack it up, go home. That's what today was for. Parents, play this scenario out. Your 18, 19, 20-year-old son or daughter comes home from second, third year of Bible college and goes... Mom, Dad, I think, I think I'm called to missions work to dangerous parts of the Middle East. And what do you think? What do you mean, what do I think? Crazy. You'd lose your life. Yeah, and what, what if I'd still win, even if I did? You're like, hey, bro, easy for you to say. Your oldest is three. I know. I'm going, God, help me try to get there in the next 15 years so that if my 18-year-old ever comes and says, Dad, what do you think about, I'll go, okay, buddy, go. I just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in this. I'm not preaching this to you. I'm with you. I'm just trying to wrestle myself with, like, on the south side of Indianapolis, What would the Graham family's life look like if we really believed to live with Christ and to die for him? How would that alter my just typical kind of status quo American Christianity? And like if if I really believe that, then I would just go, whatever comes, Jesus is going to deliver me from this. Like, if I ever find myself in a situation one day where someone's like, stop doing that Jesus stuff or we're going to kill you, I'll be, great, I win. Okay, we're not going to kill you. Great, I win. Well, how do we win? You don't win. We win. Because if, if you allow me to go on living, it just means more of glory to Jesus. And more telling people about Jesus and more making disciples. And if you, and if you just take me out of my misery right now, guess what? I go from uh, misery here to glory there. Win. 
I'd really believe this. And, and, and if, I, if I really believe this, then I'd go, okay, the highest goal in my life is just his highest honor. Whatever will bring you most honor, Lord. And, and, and I know, God, that means I might be asking for things I wouldn't want to ask for in my flesh. But if it will bring you the highest honor, do that. And I'd go, okay, then my days are just meant to live in fruitful labor for Jesus until that day my days run out and then I will go and experience great gain because it is the ultimate glory. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, Jesus followers, let that be the anthem of our life. Let the fear of everything else melt in the face of that. And let that spur us on. Jesus at the center of it all, completely laying it out, knowing we have a win-win life. Now, um, if you are here and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the message that has just been preached about the win-win life and, you know, if we die, what's the big deal? That only applies to those who are in Christ. What does in Christ mean? It means that um, a Savior has come to save you, and his name is Jesus, and, and it's much more, Jesus is much more than a historical figure. Uh, the acts of uh, him dying on a cross are much more than a historical event. Jesus came and he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. You, you know it and I know it. We have all sinned. God's word says it and you know it and I know it. All we have to do is look back at our life and go, when have I done something that God said not to do? Hmm. Probably an hour ago. We, we all have sin in our life, and this sin has separated us from relationship with a holy God. Jesus Christ came to remedy that. My question for you is, have you ever called on him in faith? Have you ever in faith said, I see my sin, I see that I'm separated from God, and I need a Savior. I can't save myself. Your good works cannot save you because you can't be good enough. Jesus Christ it's not what you leave here and try to go do to get right with God. It's what Jesus already done for you to get right with God. And today is the day you call on him in faith. What do I say? Like, what do I, what do, I do? You, the Bible says you call. You acknowledge, that you're, you acknowledge your need for Jesus. You acknowledge your sin before him. And you say, today I turn. Today I repent. Today I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, welcome to the crazy, weird, awesome, win-win life that is in Christ. That you go and you just live with him with reckless abandon, and even if it costs you your life, you win. This is the awesome privilege that we're called to, Jesus. Amen? Hey, stand in your seats right where you're at. Don't stand in your seats, but stand on the floor by your seats. I don't think Pastor Nick would appreciate the standing in the seats. We're going to sing a song here, and I didn't do this in first service, but just kind of preface this song. Um, um, Bound for glory. Like, you know, it's a familiar song, right? You guys probably sing that around here all the time. I'm free because I'm bound. I won't lead it. Nick will lead it. But, um, and sometimes, especially with those, like, fast tempo songs, we're just singing it, and we just get lost in, like, the melody of it all. And, 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 and it's like, but think about what we're singing here. Can I actually have those lyrics on the screen? Um, this world is not my home. I'm here but for a moment. It's all I've ever known, but this world is not my home. The fight is not my own. These burdens aren't my future. The burdens you walk in here today, they're not your future. Like, think about that. They're not your future. 
They're real. Let's not, let's not like discount them. The burdens you walk in here today, they're real. Like you're going to walk out of here and the burden is still going to be there. But there's something in Scripture that says this light and momentary trouble is achieving for you of an eternal weight of glory that, that, that's just, <laughs> just awesome. Like that's not real. The empty tomb has shown and I'm bound for glory. Mic drop. Like what are you going to say to that? There's nothing the world can throw at us. Like at the end of the day, whatever the world throws at us, there's still an empty tomb and there's still a risen Savior and we're still bound for glory. Come on, get it right now. Like, no. If you get news this week, and heaven forbid, but if you get news this week, like Cynthia or like David got, that you could really say, that I could really say, that if I got news this week with four little kids at home and a beautiful wife and we're, we're about to move into a house and we're just in a season of life when it's like, it's good. We're in a good season right now. And it's like, God, like, if I have to die, could it be in like a bad season later on? No, but I could really say if I get news this week with my four little kids, and they're still an empty tomb. And there's still a risen Savior, and I'm still bound for glory. Win, win, praise the Lord. I want to actually live that. I want to believe it in my heart. I don't want it to just be a verse that I memorize, some doctrine I assent to. I want it to change the way I live tomorrow morning as a follower of Jesus. Now, church, let's sing that reality. Father God, would you do it in our heart as we sing it right now? God, would you take it from more than just something we believe in our head, but something that grips our heart. God, would we, as we sing it, would it be the anthem? Would it be the heart cry? Would it be what we want our whole lives to center around? God, please, please, please drive it deep in our heart in such a way that we're talking about it around the lunch table today, and it's changing us when we drive to work tomorrow, and it's shaping the way we lead our families, and Lord, we want to lay it all down for you in life and in death because both of them are wins in Jesus. Lord, make that an anthem of our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.